We are in week 11 of what has been an awesome adventure through this book called The Story. And all this is, is it's just a book made up of chronological segments of Scripture taken from the Bible. And they've removed all the chapters and the verse markings, so it reads like one continuous story. And if you're here today and you don't have a copy of this, I just want to tell you at the end of the service, if you'll go down this hallway to my right, uh, to your left, and at the end of that hallway, follow the signs that say office, and there across from the office is a table set up with these, and they are for you. We've bought them for you. They're free. Don't pay us for them. But we want you to take them and to read them. And our goal every week is to read a chapter before we show up. And so uh, last week, actually the last few weeks, we've been studying this, this period in this new nation of God called Israel. And this period was the time uh, or the period of the judges, right? And, and so it was a time of, cycl- uh, of cyclical sin and rebellion. They, 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 they were good and then they would sin and rebel and God would remove his hand of protection. It was his act of discipline. He'd remove his hand of protection from them, and they'd been taken captive by the people that surround him. Then, of course, they would cry out, and eventually God would raise up a deliverer. He'd raise up a judge, and that judge would bring about peace in the nation of Israel that would last sometimes 20, sometimes 40 years, and then it would all happen again when that judge would die. And so um, that, that period comes to an end when the nation of Israel says, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations that surround us. We want a, a king. And so we studied that last week. Uh, Israel asks for a king, and God tells the prophet of Israel, he tells Samuel, give them what they ask for. Just give them what they ask for. They want a king, give them a king. And we talked about what a grave mistake that was, what a grave sin that was last week, because God wanted to be the central ruling figure of their lives. God was their king. And we said that that applies to us. God wants to be the central ruling figure of our lives. He he wants us to look and to act like him, not like like surrounding people or surrounding nations. God wants us to model ourselves, our lives, after him. Then we talked about the danger of idolatry, that we become like the things that we idolize. I want to encourage you, if you missed that um, for any reason, go onto our website, fbcelgin.org. There under the sermons tab, you can listen um, to that sermon. You can even share it with others on social sites. Uh, You can also just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and it'll be there on your phone every week as soon as it uploads. So last week we learned uh, Samuel listened to God. He anointed a man named Saul, the first king of Israel. And boy, did Saul look the part. He, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the nation. He just looked like what you would think of as a natural leader. And, and, and that's what they elected. That's who their, their first king is. God says, give them what they want. Give them this man named Saul. But Saul had a problem with obedience. Rather than doing exactly what God said, he would often rationalize. He would get in a sticky situation and he would weigh his options. Instead of doing what God wants, he'll often try to find a workaround. <laughs> And it cost him greatly. In fact, it's going to cost his family the throne. God is going to move away from Saul, and he's going to anoint a new king, a king after his own heart. And that is where the story picks up this morning, okay? Join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, we are so grateful for who you are, and we are so grateful for your word. And we're grateful for you inviting us into this great story, your story. God, um, We pray now that you would grant us wisdom as we study your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to take your proper place in this church as this church's teacher and guide. Um, We believe that is your role in all of our lives individually and um, definitely in the life of this church collectively. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now and exalt Jesus? 
King Jesus, as you're lifted up, would you draw us all closer to yourself that we might leave here longing to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. So after two separate accounts of Saul blatantly defying God's commands, uh, God has had enough. He instructs Samuel to go to anoint a new king. Now, this doesn't mean that Saul's kingship is going to end immediately. In fact, at the, at the point that our story this week begins, Saul has probably been king, we think he's been king about 27 years already, and he's going to remain on the throne another 15 years after God anoints David as king. And so uh, listen to how this story begins. It's on the screen. God speaks to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 page 144 in your story. And the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? So Saul messes up again. God says, I'm done. And the prophet weeps. The prophet's brokenhearted. The prophet is mourning over Saul. And God shows up and says, why are you mourning over Saul? I've I've, I've got a new plan. We're going to go a different direction. So he says this, he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. How appropriate as we enter into the Christmas season that we begin to talk about Bethlehem, God's providence. So Samuel listens to the Lord. He goes to Bethlehem and he finds Jesse and his sons. And when he sees Jesse's oldest son, Samuel thinks that uh, the job is done. He's like, all right, Lord, we're good. That was easy. But listen to what God says, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. Can we just say that again? The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, Jesse will call out seven sons, in fact, before Samuel. God will reject all of them, leading Samuel basically to ask, Hey, man, you got anything left? You got anyone left? To which Jesse will say, Well, yes, they're still my youngest, but he's just a boy. David, he, he, he's out tending the sheep, and they send for him, and David shows up, and God says, yes, yes, that, that boy, that shepherd boy, that's going to be the king. From there, we're kind of transported to a battle scene. Israel is at war with the Philistines, and battle lines have been drawn, and all of Jesse's boys are now at the battlefield, and, and, and they're having to face down this great Philistine army. And, and their dad sends David, who's still not old enough to fight, sends David off, and, and, and with these instructions, just take them some supplies, okay? And, and find out how they're doing, and come back and report to me. And so David shows up at the battle, and, and he cannot believe his eyes and his ears, because when he shows up, he sees this great Philistine, this mammoth of a man, this giant, out taunting the nation of Israel, and and, and worst of all, taunting God. David can't stand for it. Can't stand for somebody mocking his God. If none of the Israelite men are man enough to fight, David will do it. Goes before the king, 
King Saul offers David his armor, says, here, you can, you can wear this. It's not really David's style. He says, thanks, but no thanks. He grabs his staff and his sling and five smooth stones, and we know the story. We read it this week. David defeats Goliath. Saul promotes him to a place of prominence in his army, and everybody loves David. In fact, Saul's daughter loves David. He gives his daughter to David, gives her hand in marriage, and the people of Israel absolutely fall in love with David, so much so that it drives Saul to jealousy. And really the rest of the story is the story of Saul trying to deal with David, trying to deal with his jealousy towards David. He views David as a threat to the throne. Rightfully so, God's already said, it's going to be David. But David, despite being anointed as king, always honors Saul's authority. He refuses to harm him. He refuses to forcefully take the throne. And the story ends this week with Saul and his sons dying in battle, David becoming the king of Judah. For seven years, he will fight with Saul's loyalists who are supporting Saul's surviving son as king. But eventually, after another seven years, he will take over the throne and be the king over all of Israel. Now, David's not a perfect man, but he loves the Lord. He wants, in fact, to build a house for God, right in the center of the nation of Israel. That's kind of where the story ends for today. That's chapter one of the life of David. So the question is, what can we learn from this chapter of his life? What can we learn from how God deals with Saul, how we are introduced to David, and who we find David to be? And I've just got three things I want to share with you this morning very quickly. And here's the first thing. I want you to understand this morning that God is not nearly as concerned about the external as he is our hearts. God is not nearly as concerned about the external as he is our hearts. When the people wanted a king to rule over them, God gave them exactly what they wanted. He gave them Saul. Saul looked the part. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. But he had a heart problem. And when God rejected him, God said to Samuel, I'm going to find a man after my own heart. So God, we see early on, is looking for something different. Just think about that for a second. God has a higher, holier perspective on this thing called life, and God views men in a different light than we tend to view men. God looks at men in a different way. And so when Samuel asks to see Jesse's sons, Jesse proudly parades out his oldest, and Samuel is awestruck. He's like, yeah, I mean, this is a strapping, strong, fighting man. And, and when he parades out his next six oldest sons, the same thing is, is true. Jesse and Samuel both fall into the same trap. They're both judging the book by its cover. They're both judging a man's character by his outward appearance. And, and, and listen, the title of the book uh, of these seven sons would be King Worthy. All of them, they're strong, strapping men. But God says to each of them, no, no. So Samuel asks, well, wait a second, is, is there anybody else? Well, yeah, there's just, just my youngest. I mean, he's just a boy, he's just a young man. He's just, he just kind of takes care of the family sheep. 
Yeah, go ahead and call him in. And David shows up, and he's a good-looking boy. Don't get me wrong, but he's just a boy in comparison to his brothers. And God says, yeah, him. He is going to be the king, a shepherd to be the king. What does that mean for us? A couple things, really, right? This isn't the next point. Don't, don't, don't get ahead on me, Jenny. She's waiting patiently. First of all, I believe this is a reminder that God can and will use anybody that's available. We talked about that during our introduction to the book of Judges, that God can and will use anyone that is available. David doesn't look the part. He's not who you or I would choose, but he is God's man for the job. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's from the small town of Bethlehem. And again, we see where the story is headed, right? It's Christmas season. We should see where the story is headed. We, we started in chapter 1 of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. And by chapter 3 of the Bible, we learned that a solution to our sin problem was coming, that a son would be born who would crush the head of the great antagonist of this story, Satan. That son will be the lion from the tribe of Judah, and he will be born in a town called Bethlehem. David is a picture of what is coming in Christ. This truth for us, however, that God can use anyone that is available is great news. God can use people like us. God can use people that don't look the part. God can use people from little small towns. God can use people with pretty crummy jobs. He can use people from meager means. He can use anybody. It's the first thing that our first point teaches us. The second thing I think that point teaches us is this, is we need to be careful not to make snap judgments about people. See, we have a tendency like Jesse and like Samuel, to judge a book by its cover and its cover alone. We look past people all the time. We don't give people the opportunities that we should. And the danger in that, friends, is that Jesus warns us, to the extent that we judge others, we will be judged. We, as people of God, cannot write people off. We, as people of God, must look towards the heart. God is not nearly as concerned about the external as he is our hearts. That's where our focus should be too. With others, with ourselves too. Let me ask you this, just personally, right? Where's your focus been lately? Been focused on the external? Trying to make those pants fit a little better? Trying to get in shape a little more? Been focused on something external? Or have you been focused about, focused on spending time with Jesus? Becoming more like him? Looking like him when you get up and you look in the mirror. Remember that, Jesus, you look good on me. We talked about that last week. We have a tendency to focus on the external. That's not God's way. God doesn't focus on the external. He is worried about the heart. Okay, number two. It's important as we try to apply this principle in our lives. Having God's heart doesn't mean losing your personality. Having God's heart doesn't mean losing your personality. This is one of my favorite passages to teach um, young pastors uh, on when David is about to go to battle. And he says, listen, nobody else is going to fight him. I'm going to fight him. And he shows up and Saul says, if you're going to go to battle against this Philistine, you need to put on my armor. 
And so Saul tries to put his armor on David. He tries to put his sword in David's hand. He wants David to go and fight this fight like Saul, not like David. And I want you to understand what a grave mistake that would have been. That would have been a fatal flaw. If David had tried to be someone that he was not on this day, it would have ended in great tragedy. Goliath was a giant. He was big. He was strong. He he excelled in hand-to-hand combat. And David, well, he was young. He was agile. He was smaller. But he was a slinger. That's what they would have called it. He excelled with a slingshot, killing things from a distance. If David had come out to fight Goliath as Saul wanted him to, David would have been decimated. But you see that day, David chose to fight in his own armor. He chose to be the man that God had created him to be. And when he picked up his staff and he took his sling and he grabbed five smooth stones and he ran out onto that battlefield at that very moment that he made the decision not to fight in another man's armor, that was the moment that the battle was his. That was the moment that David ceased being an underdog. He was only an underdog if he was going into a hand-to-hand combat. But a slinger from a distance could take down a giant. And our call to be more like Christ. In God's command that we be conformed into His image, God never asks us to lose our personality. The things that make us unique. And, and friends, I just fear many of us miss this today, right? I, I, I think that, that, that um, we, we, we think that conformity means uniformity. And so we spend our entire lives trying to be like someone else. We spend our entire lives trying to be like, like that Christian um, saint that, that, that we know, right? We, 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 there's somebody in our lives that, that we're such a great Christian example. And we try to model our behaviors after them. And the problem with that is that in doing so, we lose what makes us special. And we end up just being frustrated because we can never measure up. Listen to this. You may want to write this down. God doesn't want you to be a lesser version of someone else that loved him. God doesn't want you to be a lesser version of someone else that loved him. God wants you to be the most Christ-centric version of you that you can be. That's God's goal for your life. To be who He created you to be. To be the most Christ-centered version of you. We've got to fight in our own armor. I'll tell you, I, I never found peace in ministry as long as I tried to be like the pastors that hired me. Guys hired me. They were great orators. They all had their own style. And, and when, when, I, when I worked underneath them early on, that's what I, I tried to just do what they did. They, they were script preachers. They typed up every word. They memorized everything that they did. And, man, I really stunk at that. I, I mean, it was terrible. Like, it, it, was, it was so, so, so bad. And then you'd have another guy that has a different influence. You want to try to be like that guy. And, and it was just, I never found peace in ministry until I figured out this principle that we have to be who God made us. The best Christ version of who God made us. We've got to fight 
in our own armor. God has uniquely given you skills and abilities and personalities. And being more like Christ doesn't mean leaving all those things at the door. It just means leaving the sinful behavior, the sinful thoughts at the door. God's goal was that you be the most Christ-centered version of you because he made you and you are important. Number three. Last lesson I, I think we learned. Last biggie. There's lots of stuff in here. As we look at the life of David, we learn that sometimes God's will takes a while. <laughs> sometimes God's will takes a while. Um, who traveled over Thanksgiving? Anybody here travel? Any of you? Okay. Just, just a handful. All right. Anybody experienced traffic recently? Anybody experienced traffic? All right. All right. Drove through Dallas. Did you go through Dallas? It was awesome, isn't it? Woo, Dallas. On the, on the way through Dallas, out, not bad. On the way coming back, oh my gosh, I want to strangle somebody. Um, you should never have to come to a dead stop on a highway. It just shouldn't happen. And it happened over and over and over and over and over. We just waited for hours for, for, and because they decided on the busiest traffic day of the year, let's do some construction. That'll be good. Smart. It's awesome. How many of you have been to the doctor recently? Anybody been to a doctor recently? Okay. That's fun, right? I'm not going to ask specifics of like if you're having your annual checkup or anything. We don't need to know. Uh, you know. My favorite part of the doctor, you know, when you wait in the waiting room, you get there, you make an appointment on the phone. They say, will you please be here at this time? So you show up before that time. That time passes and you're still waiting. That's awesome, right? And then eventually they call you back. And so you go back to, uh, to where there's a nurse and they usually check your blood pressure or do a little something, right? And they just, you know, take your height and weight, which is always fun. It's always good to be reminded, like, yeah, I ate too much. And so you, then you go in and then they put you in office, check your blood pressure. And then what do they do? They close the door. And what do you have to do again? You have to wait. You have to wait for the doctor again. I've already waited for the doctor. I don't want to come in and wait for the doctor again. Right? It's not fun. It's not fun. Who's, who's, been, uh, who's, who's been on a family vacation, done a theme park recently? Anybody done one of those? We're, we're about to go uh, at the busiest time of Disney World. We're going to go. Yeah, that's fun. Um, our kids are in public school now. You, you get like these three weeks to work with. And, and so my mother wanted to take us for Christmas. So that's your Christmas present. So we're going to go. I'm super excited to wait in line for an hour um, for It's a Small World. By the time you get on the ride, you have heard the song 1,042,000 times before you even get on the, on the ride. Let's be honest. We hate waiting. We're a culture that craves Instant gratification, right? We want it, and we want it right now. That's why the average American household carries $17,000 worth of credit card debt. Because we don't want to wait to buy something. We want it now. Instant oatmeal, right? Microwave popcorn, instant rice. One minute eggs. One minute. Have your egg. Now, even, even crock pots. Did you see this is like the big craze now? You know, slow cookers, that's what they used to call them. Slow cookers, crock pots. Now they have Instapots. You can have your pot roast in 20 minutes. 20 minutes, by golly. It's ridiculous. Here's the problem with that. With our desire for instant gratification is oftentimes that is not how God works. God has Samuel anoint David king of Israel, but it actually 
takes 22 years before he receives the crown as king of all of Israel. 22 years. And and here's why I bring it up. Honestly, I I bring it up from a hopeful perspective. See, I, I fear that many of you have forgotten that this is how God works. And so some of you have been um, asking God for something. You, you've been believing in God for something, or at least you were, but you have ceased. Because you've reached a point that you think God's answer is no. You, you honestly have given up hope. And, and my, my, my goal is to maybe restore or, or to rekindle that hope. Maybe, maybe the answer wasn't no. Maybe the answer was, as God's answer often is, just not yet. Maybe what you're really in is, is not a season of depression or disbelief or dysfunction. But you're actually just in a season of waiting. Because God says, listen, I've got something amazing for you. You've just got to wait. You've just got to wait. I wonder, what is that thing that you felt like God promised you long ago that you just gave up on? What, what was that thing that you just, your dreams were dashed, you just assumed God said no. What if God didn't say no? What if God just said, not yet? Not yet. Sometimes, my friends, God's will takes a while. Okay? The best things come to those who wait, wait. So let's pack it up. Give you some homework, things to do as you leave this place. Every week we try to um, take what we learn and we call it taking the story home. It's just meant to be a challenge that moves beyond this point in this moment. Here's the first thing. I think we should be challenged to do because of the text that we read this week. Number one, we've, we've got to focus on the heart, right? Ours and, and, and others. We've got to focus on the heart. That means we stop judging people based on appearance. Man, I, guys, I, I got to tell you, I'm so, uh, I always thought, I'm not a judgmental person, right? But it happens, doesn't it? It happens. We, we are judgmental people. We are. I wonder how many divine opportunities we miss because we judge that that person's not worthy of our time. Can you imagine that? Right? When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and the shepherd will leave 99 behind, and he's going to go after that one person. I think in our minds, we think of that one person as lovely. They smell good. We want to be around them. We'd like to have them over for dinner. Just wonder, what if that one person is the exact opposite? What if you can't stand them? What if they're not friend material? What if you wouldn't like them around your kids? What if they don't look the way that you think people should look? They don't have the education that you think people should have. You follow me? Our churches, by and large, are filled with people that we like. People that make us comfortable. Meanwhile, on the highways and the byways of life, there are millions of people that are dying to hear the gospel. We have to start looking towards the heart, not towards the exterior, okay?
And the same is true in our own lives, guys. Listen, we're, we're about to... We jump, it's just not even fair, right? You jump from Thanksgiving right into Christmas candy. That's what happens, right? Christmas candies and cookies and breads and pies. It's going to be easy to focus on the external. I've got to eat this. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You can get through Christmas weighing the exact amount that you weigh today and totally miss Jesus. You can get through Christmas and get every Black Friday and Cyber Monday present that your children want. Not that they need, that they want. And you can still completely miss Jesus. You can decorate your house. You can put up your tree. And you can completely miss Jesus. God's goal is that he is at the center of our lives. That our hearts beat for him. That's his goal. God wants your heart. That's what he wants, okay? So we start there. That's, that's number one. Number two, number two uh, I think this text challenges us to fight in our own armor, right? I, I, I pray that speaks to somebody here. I, I, I pray that speaks to somebody. I've got to believe there's somebody else in the audience that they have labored for years under the, the burden of trying to be like somebody uh, in their life that was a God-fearing or God, uh, God-fearing man or woman, right? There was somebody, they were your example, they were your Sunday school teacher, it was your aunt, it was your uncle, it was your grandpa, and, and you've spent your life trying to be like them. And the problem is that you've spent your life to this point and you're frustrated because you are a lesser version than they were. Listen. God didn't create you to be a lesser version of someone else. God made you to be the most Christ-centered version of you that there could be. That's huge. Fight in your own armor. Embrace who God has made you. Embrace your personality and your gifting and your skill set. When I was... First got saved, I was about 20, and uh, I was so uh, just excited for Jesus. I woke up like, Jesus! I mean, I was just ready to go. I would just drive around. You, you think I'm joking? I drove to people's house and just talked to them about the Lord. They didn't ask. I knocked on people's doors, said, hey, dude, hadn't seen you in a while. I need to tell you what's going on. Jesus is coming to my life, and I think he needs to come into yours. They're like, you are weird. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. I was just on fire. So during that season learning all kinds of new stuff. Had, I'd been in church a little bit. Um, I thought, man, these people that play instruments and sing are awesome. It's like, I want to I be one of them. I want to sing. And I tried. And friends, listen, you hear me occasionally, okay? If the choir's singing, I can, I can stay in the range, but I promise there's flat and, and sharp and all in there. I can stay in the range, right? It's just not who God made me to be. It's just not who God made me, me to be. I, I can listen to some of the greatest preachers in the world. And, and, and man, I, I, I love them. I just think, oh, gosh, that guy is so smart. I love reading Timothy Keller, but I'm not him. Just being honest, right? I mean, the, the first Christian author I ever read was Max Licato. And I thought, man, more than any guy on the face of the planet, I still believe this. He puts skin on the gospel. You feel like you're, you're walking through Scripture when, when Max writes. Not so much when he preaches, but when he writes. I, I, it's something about his voice. I just want to fall asleep. I'm just saying. I love you, Max, if you're listening. Um, at some point, we got to figure out, like, who, who, who's God made me? Somebody told me the other day, they've been visiting our church, they said, I'm just not used to laughing in church. Almost like it was offensive. And I was like, well, welcome. Like, <laughs> like, if, if you, I, I, like you don't have to. You don't have to laugh. You can you hold it down. You can button it up, whatever you need to do. But, but um, like, God is, 
is a real person, and he created us to be the people that we are. And we've got to fight in that armor. And listen, I, I, I think this could unleash you, my friend, to do some serious damage, um, good damage in the kingdom of God, damage against the enemy. I think we could storm the gates of hell if the people of God could understand that their call on their life is to be the most Christ-centered version of them that they can be. So what has God gifted you in? What are you good at? What do you do? Can you be the most Christ-centered lawyer there is? Could you be the most Christ-centered doctor? Could you be the most Christ-centered secretary? Could you be the most Christ-centered person that, 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 uh, that, that goes out every day and, and, and works hard labor, works construction? Could you be the most Christ-centered version of that? I just wonder. All right? Fight in your own armor. I, I think you'll be shocked. I think you'll be shocked at the joy that you receive, okay? Lastly, I would say this. Um, we, we, we say this a lot. This should just be one of our points in our belief system around here. Um, you'll, you'll hear me probably at least once a quarter, this will be a, a, a point, because it's just found throughout Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. It's guys, worship while you're waiting, okay? I, I don't know what that hope or dream was that you thought was dead, that thing that you just thought God is over, God is done, God... Um, God, God just, he said no, and you've been disappointed in it, right? You've honestly been disappointed. I, I just want to encourage you, would you just worship while you wait? W- would you still be hopeful? Would you still go to the temple and pray like Hannah, <laughs> right? W- would, would you believe and, and, and hope against all hope like Abraham? When's the last time you hoped against all hope? Have you ever done that? Ever? In your life, God said he promised you something. You're like, no, you believed it for a period of time and it didn't come. Yeah, but did you hope against all hope? Are you still waiting for it? I don't know about you, friends, but I'm still waiting on some things from the Lord. I'm still waiting on some things from the Lord. I'm believing they're coming. And so, so while I wait and while I believe in, in, in my God who is always true, who always keeps his word, whose word can never fail because it is impossible for him to lie, while I'm waiting in that moment, though it's difficult to wait, while I wait, I will worship him for he is good. Amen. For he is good. I will trust in him while I wait. I hope and pray you do the same. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray that it is spoken to the depths of our being. Lord, it's, it's so cool to see your story begin to come to fruition. A shepherd to be king. Someone from the little tribe of Judah and the tiny town of Bethlehem to reign. Lord, I pray that the truths of your word would sink in with us this morning deeply. I pray that you would make us a people that believe in you and put our hope and trust in you. I pray that we, like you, would be a people that focus on the heart, not on the external. I pray that we would be a people that learn to fight in our own armor. I pray that we would be a people that learn to wait for the good things in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.